Discover the leader in you with the leadership linebacker, Dr. Jason Carthen, former New England Patriot turned PhD. I bring a new brand of inspiration and passion to audiences worldwide. Having served and consulted with Fortune 500 companies, the National Football League Players Association, and the White House, each week I will prescribe empowering, motivational, and life-changing medicine for your soul. Now, it's time to discover the leader in you. Edition of Discover the Leader in You. I'm your host, the leadership linebacker, Dr. Jason Carthen. And I tell you what, we're going to have a very exciting show today. But I got to tell you, before I even say that to you, got to let you know that spring is upon us. I mean, we actually have some warmth that's coming our way, and I'm excited about that. And, you know, I get excited about things, and, you know, it's going to be a fantastic day. And I just want to say thank you for joining us on Discover the Leader in You. And the title of today's show is Social Justice and Sustainability in Our Communities. Can Nonprofits Help Lead the Way? You know, the term social justice has been tossed around quite a bit lately due to some of the headlines on TV and in the press. But if you look at the origins of social justice, it stems from the idea of equality in all facets of society, business or economic opportunities. For that reason, many proponents of social justice support the idea of change agents in the community and in the public sector specifically. Now on today's show, we have a real life change agent. Miss Amelia Gibbon will be joining us and she's gonna share her perspectives on creating change in society as it relates to leading a nonprofit organization. You know, but before we do that, I just wanna remind all of you about the I Speak Life Academy that's gonna be coming up on March, uh, actually uh, April 28th. We're gonna have some great things uh, taking place. And if you want to get involved, definitely uh, you can go on to the uh, website at jasoncarthen.com and make sure you register there. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. and We'd love to have you come out and be a part. If you want to grow your business and you want to have sustainability, you definitely want to become part of the I Speak Life Academy. Now, without further ado, I want to introduce you to Miss Amelia Gibbon. She is the executive director of the Friendly Center in Toledo, Ohio. Amelia has dedicated her life to serving the nonprofit community in Northwest Ohio and is the recipient of the 2014 Hero and Shiro Award from the Ohio Commission on Minority Health. Her past positions include member services director for the Girl Scouts Council of Maumee Valley and income specialist for the United Way of Greater Toledo. Amelia holds a bachelor's of arts in public administration from Toledo University. Amelia resides in Toledo, Ohio, and has two wonderful children, Sharmita and Charles. Amelia, welcome to the show. Dr. Carson, hello, and thank you for having me. Well, hey, it's our privilege. You have been a warrior out in the community doing some great things, and you are winning awards and making an impact. And I've had a chance to personally see what you've been doing and also hear from a lot of your supporters that really say you are making a difference. And when we talk about the whole idea of social justice and sustainability in our communities, you are living, breathing proof of that. So thank you for being on today. It's my pleasure. Well, so tell us what has been taking place with the Friendly Center. There's there's a lot of good stuff uh, I know that has been taking place and and you've been doing some things in the community yourself. Anything you want to update us on? What what have, we, what have you been doing? Well, I've spent uh, the past week actually at a leadership, uh, national leadership training 
around community organizing. I came away rejuvenated, uh, refreshed, really began to understand the urgency around organizing, especially in communities like those that the Friendly Center serves. In the city of Toledo, there's a lot of energy happening around uh, redevelopment in our downtown area. We have one of our largest employers, the ProMedical Health System, moving downtown. They're going to be bringing with them jobs and other opportunities to increase the viability. But what's really urgent for us as a community is to begin to understand that the neighborhoods that surround the downtown area also need to be a part of the revitalization effort, and that same synergy that's being created downtown needs to overflow into the surrounding communities. So uh, as a leader in the Friendly Center organization, I have the opportunity to be a part of this new organizing movement. So I'm very excited about that work. Wow. It sounds like a lot is taking place, and it's directly in line with the show's topic today. When you talk about social justice and the, the idea of sustainability in our communities, it sounds like you are right in the thick of that because you want to have that impact uh, in the communities that are surrounding uh, that area as well. So so the likelihood of that taking place, is, is it very good that that's going to happen? or The likelihood of the organizing effort happening or the pro-medical health system moving to the downtown area? The pro-medical health system. Oh, it's, it has been. It's, done, it's a done deal. It's definitely happening. Nice. And um, the work is underway. I also have the pleasure and the honor of sitting on the Board of Trustees with ProMedica in the uh, in the advocacy committee arena. And so to be on both sides of that table, to see the impact and to understand um, the commitment that ProMedica is making to our organization is huge. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, see, that, that wasn't added in your bio. I mean, that sort of uh, <laughs> civic engagement is huge. So you're sitting on the board. Well, congratulations with Thank that. You. That is great. So let me ask you, when we start talking about uh, the idea of sustainability and social justice, why the nonprofit sector for you? What, I mean, is this tied to your purpose or, you know, why'd you get into that? Nonprofit absolutely is tied to what I consider my life's purpose, and that is, put to put simply, is to make a difference in the lives of people that I connect with on a daily basis. Mm. I think that the world of nonprofit provides that venue. Um, if you look at the history of the origin of most nonprofits, they were created in direct response to immediate need mm-hmm. of a person or a group of people. Mm. And so most nonprofits are, you know, they have a direct tie. Now, it also offers the opportunity to impact or affect change on a very basic human, one individual at a time level, which I think is the best way to affect change if our community is going to grow and to become stronger. Mm, excellent. Excellent. So it's tied to your purpose. And you are doing so many things now, you know, that really it sounds like you have been vetted in the nonprofit arena. <laughs> so you've been able to have some success there. You've been doing some things that are really cutting edge with the Friendly Center. Uh, so it sounds like you're working in your sort of niche there uh, at the Friendly Center. So if you if you had some advice, and I kind of just want to ask you, if you had advice for someone who may be in college right now and they're trying to figure out, you know, once I graduate, do I want to go into the nonprofit sector? Do you see immediate value for a uh, college graduate that's just coming out and they want to be involved in that arena? I think that the nonprofit arena is definitely a great place for uh, a college graduate to get their feet wet, if you will, uh, even if their individual will eventually end up in the world of for-profit, mm-hmm. because there is a direct connection to both entities. 
they really, quite frankly, cannot exist without each other. Right. I believe that, you know, we talk about the world of nonprofit. That's where we grow people, and people are needed in order to support businesses, not just people, but people who are skilled, people who understand community, people who are committed. And so when we, we in the world of nonprofit, we have the opportunity to allow growth to happen. You know, we can put individuals through workforce development continuum that will allow them to be prepared to go to our for-profit partners and bring value to their work as well to, to hit their bottom line. Wow. Now, see, that's excellent because you are dispelling a lot of myths that are out there that would say once you get on that track, that's the track that you need to stay on, whether it's for profit or, you know, you're in the idea of nonprofit, you know. But what you're saying is that it's a both and proposition. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be either or. And so what would you say to those people that would say, well, hey, you won't make money in a nonprofit. <laughs> you know what? Why do I want to go into that? What do you have to say to those people? I would say to those individuals, while it is true that when you talk salaries, we are definitely not competitive with our for-profit partners. However, when you talk about the opportunity to grow, to uh, find out and better define your interest, your passion, and and to hone in your skills, that the world of nonprofit will provide you with that opportunity um, in a very, I would use the word, safe environment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because you won't, in the world of for-profit, you know, it's, it's the urgency there. You know, you have to hit the ground running. You have to, you know, meet that bottom line. There's development that's always occurring, and there's a added pressure. But in the world of nonprofit, we're excited that you're coming to the table to share your skills. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. want you to grow and to develop, because we understand that, you will impact our work tremendously because of your background, with formal, your formal education background, and hopefully that, you know, the knowledge you obtained in higher learning will impact us immediately. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we get excited about you. So we'll definitely say, no, we can't pay you a lot of money, but what we can give you <laughs> is the opportunity to grow and to be better positioned to make impact whatever career choice you make. Okay. You know, and I had to chuckle there because the the reality is that, Yes. You know, people, you may not break the bank if you go into the nonprofit arena. But if I hear you correctly, there's more to it than that. The the initial question that I have for you was related to purpose. And it sounds like if you have someone that is just coming out of college and they decide they want to go into the nonprofit sector, it's a great proving ground. You know, so they're going to they're going to grow and develop and potentially move towards, you know, not only. Uh, creating more of a financial uh, opportunity for themselves, but they're going to be vetted at that point. Well, I think that, I mean, I agree with you, Dr. Carson, absolutely. But also I I think that, you know, case in point would be the opportunity. We have several corporate partners at Friendly Center, and they are very clear with their employees that it's important that you give back to community. Yes. That you understand and recognize and, more importantly, be a part of the community in which we work in every day. Mm-hmm. And when those employees have the opportunity to make the connection through a nonprofit and to meet neighbors in the neighborhood setting, it makes them better employees because now they understand the culture of their environment, their community, and how they best fit and what they can do to help the culture to grow and develop. I mean, and you build that bridge. Nonprofits are really the bridge between the world, you know, the world of neighborhood and the world of community on a broader scale. Wow, that that is good stuff. And, you know, again, when you say bridge, the whole idea of being a real life change agent, you know, you and your colleagues and then your community partners, it sounds like 
you are in the trenches and you're able to do that. So that's that's awesome. Let me ask you something. So, you know, when people think about nonprofits and they think about, you know, some of the things that you do, you know, people say, wow, that's a feel good opportunity. That's a that's a feel good initiative that you're doing. But how important is it for you to have planning stages uh, for your nonprofit? Is it just you don't fly by the seat of your pants, right? We never should. Now, uh, you know, again, talking about the origins of most nonprofits, they usually were created in a reactive mode. Okay, we see the immediate need. How can we fix it? But I think when you talk about strategic planning, there is an urgency today that has never been before in the world of nonprofit that uh, leadership understands the value of strategic planning and why it is a necessary tool in order to um, create sustainability within the organization. Not only leadership. When we talk about leadership, we talk about board leadership as well as the operational side. Yes. Um, They have to work together. And also um, that tool is also an opportunity for you to go out and talk to corporate partners who understand business plans, and they want to see that type of uh, level of commitment happening in the world of nonprofit. It's going to be very difficult to talk to a funder and ask for support financially when you cannot clearly articulate what your goals are and how you're going to obtain those goals, you know, in, in a reasonable amount of time. So strategic planning is huge and urgent in our community, in the nonprofit community right now. Wow. Now, so let me ask you, I mean, you really, you just dropped a lot of knowledge right there. Really, to be honest with you, you could be in the for-profit or nonprofit side <laughs> based upon what you just shared, Miss uh, Amelia. So let me, let me ask you this. When you start talking about making sure you have uh, a good story to tell, you, if I hear you correctly, you're saying that the planning stages, if you're seeking funding or if you're talking to community partners that want to make sure you are a legitimate entity they want to give to, these planning stages and being able to have those on paper are very important, right? Yeah, that is correct. Okay, so when you get ready to start charting a course for the Friendly Center, do you do that sort of thing at the end of the year or at the beginning of the new calendar year? Or, or how, do you, how do you approach that? In theory, it should happen at the beginning when you're planning your budget, because I personally believe that the budget is the moral document of the organization. Excuse me, Dr. Carter. So if you are creating a budget, your budget needs to be tied directly to your strategic plan. So ideally, as you begin to look at your resources, what you have, what you hope to obtain, your strategic plan should be tied directly to your budget. So the short answer would be you should do your strategic planning the same time you do your budgets every year. Wow, that is good stuff. So in theory, if if you're able to do that, then that's really going to allow you to not only be effective, but also gain and garner support uh, from your community partners. Well, hey, we are on the phone with Miss Amelia Gibbon, the executive director of the Friendly Center in Toledo, Ohio. And I have to tell you, she is really dropping some uh, nuggets of wisdom here. I want everybody to stay tuned with us. We're going to take a quick break, and we appreciate you tuning in to Discover the Leader in You. All right. Hey, we are back on Discover the Leader in You. And you know what? We're talking about social justice and sustainability in our communities. 
Can nonprofits help lead the way? And we have a true game changer on the show today, Miss Amelia Gibbon, who is the executive director for the Friendly Center in Toledo, Ohio. We have just been talking about the importance of planning stages in a nonprofit and just the, the reality that if you are going to be credible and if you're going to make sure you're reaching out and trying to partner with people in the community, you have to have an accurate representation of your efforts. And Miss Amelia, thank you for sharing just the importance of that. So that was good. Thank you. So let me ask you, is there some sort of uh, special training that is required to run a nonprofit or can anyone just sort of uh, walk through the doors and make it happen? I'm laughing uh, with that question, Dr. Carson. I, I just actually had a conversation with a vice president of Owens Corning, one of their businesses that they own, and we talked a little bit about preparation for the leadership role at a community center. And I assured him there was not a textbook in the world that could prepare us for that. Yes. Um, it's, it's definitely a uh, learned experience that you I just can't describe it. It's awesome. It's a great responsibility, but it has challenges. I think that any type of formal education, of course, is always going to add value. Knowledge is powerful within itself. Mm-hmm. So maybe with public a public administration background would definitely help you to understand the history of and the whys of the work of nonprofit. It would give you uh, a solid framework in terms of the financial end of it and why that's important. I do not believe you can open a textbook that will tell you how important it is to establish relationships, the value of collaborations, and how do you how do you actually go about doing that work because that's vital to the survival of any community center or nonprofit that is directly tied to a work in the community. Yes. And you know what, based upon what you just shared, I mean, two things that I just jotted down, you know, the financial component and then the collaboration piece. You know, I want us to unpack that a little further because I think many people uh, don't understand if you are trying to raise funds or if you're if you have a capital campaign or a giving campaign, if you don't have uh, relationships, it's going to be very difficult to sustain that. And even our guest last week uh, was sharing just about the importance of having a list or a go to set of individuals that have bought into the mission and a vision of someplace like the uh, Friendly Center. So when you get ready to talk to an individual at uh, Owens Corning or wherever it may be, and you tell them that, hey, this is not for the faint of heart and leadership (laughs) has many facets and levels, you know, they are able to relate to what you're sharing with them, correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So back to the original thought of it, if if you need that special training, and it focuses around the areas of the financial piece and the collaboration piece. Is there a need for continuing education then, even after the training? You know, because there are two different things there at the end of the day. Yes, I think there there is absolutely a need for continuing education. Now, what that track looks like really depends on what the mission and the purpose of your organization is. Right. You know, for instance, you know, Friendly Center is a national mission of the United Methodist Women. So we are a faith-based organization. So what is urgent for me to stay connected to um, the the church and what is global and local and national focuses are, you know, what's going on around, going on around the issues of refugees and immigrants, because the church has taken a very real stance on that. Mm -hmm. So it's important that I stay connected around their work, any legislation action that is happening around that as well, so I can speak to that when we go out into the community to find those partners 
or collaborative projects who have the same passion for that particular audience. Very so that, good. That type of continuing education needs to happen. You know, if we're talking about food justice and food insecurities and we operate in a food desert, what are the stats on that? How do we find out, you know, what's going on on a national level that's trickling down in terms of funding or, again, policies that impact that work to make sure that children do not children no longer go to bed hungry. Yes. So I think it depends on your mission and what your programs are, and that will guide you in seeking continuing educational opportunities. Wow, very good. Now, when you start talking about, you know, again, I mean, I keep going back to it, but the whole idea of social justice, there are some people that they suffer from not having enough to eat, and, and that is a clear, clear demarcation there that, hey, we are not experiencing equality here. So the fact that the Friendly Center has a just a passion to make sure people are uh, able to have food to eat and they're able to be given the, the best opportunity to even learn in school because there's a ton of research that says that if you don't even have food to eat, it's not going to be possible for you to learn uh, in an academic setting. So the fact that you guys are doing that, do you do you place a lot of importance on the community side of that, like going out and make sure you're providing food, or is it just, uh, I don't know, continued growth and development for those in a community, or what's the focus percentage-wise? Well, I th- we do. I think we do both. I, we are certainly an advocate around the issue. And, um, again, because of our direct connection to the United Methodist women who attack this issue globally in third-world countries, you know, they are concerned about women and children specifically having enough food to eat. What does that look like? How do we empower or provide tools so that individuals become empowered to provide their own food, mm. you know, in terms of knowledge and growing crops? And so that, that happens on a, a, global, a global level, I'm sorry, um, on a national level, we have the same emphasis, but locally, to drill down to the friendly center, we certainly provide what well, we we provide emergency food, basic need services, but we also do hot meals. But along with those hot meals, we provide a community advocate that educates the community on the health disparities that are directly tied to directly tied to improper nutrition. Oh wow! Okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm getting over a slight cold. So. Uh, I think that we do both on both ends. You know, we have over 12,000 people in our neighborhood in our service area. Oh and according to our stats, we probably we probably fed at least 10,000 of those individuals within the last year. Oh, my goodness. Through one of those services. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we're definitely doing the work of meeting the immediate need, but I think the bigger picture for us is to how do we position ourselves to become an advocate mm-hmm. um, and to use our voices on behalf of those who cannot use their voice right now because they are challenged with just something as basic as eating every day. My goodness. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around 10,000 people served. You know what? Uh, That, uh, that is powerful. That is powerful. So, you know what? I just, again, I just applaud you for what you're doing at the Friendly Center. And I, for one, I'm a fan <laughs> because if, if you're able to, you know, you're welcome. If you're able to be in the trenches like that and you're doing things to to really, you know, advocate and then also train. I mean, you're talking about nutrition. I can't tell you how many times people have called and said, you know, I just don't I don't know how to eat properly or I, I want to maybe uh, get healthier, but I don't know the steps. But you guys are doing a both and proposition, and that's that's just great. That is great. So, so let me ask you. We're going to take another break here in a couple of minutes. But in your opinion, you know, Miss Amelia, what is the biggest challenge 
in leading your nonprofit? Because you obviously have a lot of moving parts, uh, serving 10,000 people in that way. What What is your biggest challenge, you know, in leading that nonprofit? I think that um, it, we have probably two issues that rise to the top immediately. One is capacity. Capacity right. building within the structure of the organization is definitely uh, important and urgent. But I also believe that leadership is huge as well. You know, my, I personally believe that everything goes back to leadership at the end of the day. Who occupies the chair? Wow. How prepared is that individual to make the hard decisions? Okay. You know, how how strategic are you in your thinking? And as you talked about the moving parts, you know, strategically, you can't drop any of them. So how do you, when do you, and how, you know, in what capacity do you move those parts around so that everything remains connected mm-hmm. and is relevant? And so that's, that's thinking all day long. But the flip side of that is your organization needs to be sustainable. So how do we create uh, different streams of revenue? so that those streams of revenue consistently feed into your cash flow and you have enough resources to go out and do the work, but not only do the work, but market your work. You know, marketing is something that most people don't think about in terms of capacity building for organizations, but you need to, if people don't know what you do, they can't support you. Oh, my goodness. They don't understand your impact. Well, so, I, so definitely capacity building and leadership rise to the top of that question. Well, let me do this. We're going to take a quick break. But you know what, Miss Amelia, I want to talk about that a little bit because the reality is that you hit on several things there that our listening audience, they really need to understand the marketing piece, the leadership, the capacity building. All those things are important. So when we come back from break, everybody, we're going to unpack this a little bit further. You are listening to Miss Amelia Gibbon, who is the executive director of the Friendly Center in Toledo, Ohio, and she is sharing a good word with us. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, you are back with the leadership linebacker, Dr. Jason Carthen on Discover the Leader in You. And we've been talking about social justice and sustainability in our communities. Can nonprofits help lead the way? Miss Amelia Gibbon, who is the executive director with the Friendly Center in Toledo, Ohio, was just sharing with us that there are really three components that are necessary when dealing with the challenges in a nonprofit setting. And she really she teed it up. You know, you know, everyone that uh, listens right now, you know, I'm an avid golfer, but she teed it up for us. She said capacity building, leadership and marketing. You know, I mean, those things are huge. So. Ms. Amelia, let's talk about that. When you talk about some of the challenges and leading a nonprofit, you know, sort of unpack a little bit for our listening audience, the whole idea of why leadership can be a challenge. I think leadership can be a challenge because, as we talked about earlier, Dr. Carson, there's really uh, not a, a textbook that you can go to and reference. What right. do I do next? And so as a leader, you have to be very sure, first of all, what your strengths are. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I firmly believe in that 80-20 rule that you spend 80% of your time operating from your strengths and only 20% improving other areas. Mm. So as a leader, you need to make sure that you are operating in your 80% success, your sweet spot, as you would say, <laughs> uh, the majority of the time so that you can be effective. Wow, that is good. Um, that is good. It's challenging. It's challenging because sometimes the urgency of the needs of running a nonprofit uh, demand that you come outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, you know, based upon what you what you just shared, uh, yes. I mean, if you're going to lead, and I tell people this all the time, if you're going to lead, it's going to be uncomfortable. It, it may not be a, a place of, uh, I guess, safety. Uh, and if you're looking to lead anyone, uh, even if you're leading your family, which is crucial and very important, I mean, you have to come out of your comfort zone and, and it's not going to be safe for you at the end of the day. But so let me ask you this. You also uh, just give a couple of minutes to the whole idea of the marketing piece. I mean, if you if and I, have, I have some ideas that maybe there's some challenges related to maybe funding and then having a type of, uh, I guess, budget to do effective marketing. Is that what you're getting at or is there something else? Well, I think there are two things. Certainly the resources to do effective marketing um, is not priority. It should be. I think that I firmly believe that marketing is not uh, a bad word in the world of nonprofit. Uh, I think that traditionally, um, nonprofit supporters will say to you, "We're not about marketing. We're about helping people." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that disconnect comes in because you know, in the world of for profit, we understand in order to sell your product or service, people need to know what you have to offer and the value of it. Absolutely. And I think that in the world of nonprofit, we tend to uh, rely on word of mouth. We we tend to say, well, we're doing good. Well, we help someone, and that's great. But how do you prove the impact? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and how do you reach the audience that you, A, want to help so you can increase your impact, and B, you know, the audience that can provide the resources to help you do the work. And I think the other piece that's linked to that is the ability to secure the type of individuals, whether you a paid staff member or a volunteer, that has those very specific skills to bring to the table. Mm. Because everyone can, you know, marketing is a, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. You have to find the right people with the expertise in order to do it effectively. Right, right, yeah. So just, yeah, even just create something as simple as a flyer. Right. You know, that simple, you that should be easy, right? No, no. There are colors you have to use, and there's verbiage that needs to be put there. You can't have too much tech. You need pictures. Okay. <laughs> Who can do that for us? <laughs> Who has the time and the energy to do that? And and so, yeah, you have to be effective in that role. No, that is that is so funny. I, I chuckle because, you know, there is always the tyranny of the urgent. I tell people yeah. all the time, whether you're for-profit or non-profit, the idea that, you know, hey, we got pictures, we have a copy here that needs to be written. You know, the executive director really should not be responsible for that. But then once you try to delegate it, it's like, all right, who's going to do that? Who's right. going to maximize, you know, the effort there? And if you and maybe you can speak to this, but if you get the wrong person <laughs> that's trying to set that sort of thing up, wow, it can be devastating and it can be a failed effort with funds that have been allocated to your nonprofit. So that's not a good thing either. It's not a good thing. And the damage control that that will occur that has to happen if you do, in fact, get the wrong person there who cannot effectively uh, communicate the message of the organization. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be the message of the organization, but the organization also needs to be able to clearly identify its message. And and to be able to stand firmly behind that and not be swayed, you know, I'm, you can't. You have to know what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, and what you want people to think about you when they see that marketing message, and be very firm in that. Wow, that's good stuff. Now, I, I sort of want to piggyback on that because I think our listeners, those that are interested in going into the nonprofit arena, they need to understand one thing that we haven't touched on yet. How important is it to tell the story? I have all these people that 
they will say, well, you know what? This is great. I, I want to be in a nonprofit arena. But how important is it, Miss Amelia, to tell the story, let the story lead and really rule the day? I think it's urgent. I think that uh, you, you have to be able to tell a story, mm-hmm. you know, that clearly reflects the success or the impact of your organization. Yes. And that story has to be able to resonate with the audience that you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because people want to, and, and thank you for that, I think people want to get involved with something that's working, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of organizations out there, but people typically will have a tug at the heart when it's something that, one, is working, and then, two, it's in alignment with, you know, their principles, their values, those things that they want to see take place uh, in society in that way. So that is that is great. I don't want people to gloss over that. You, you have to be intentional with uh, telling the story and making sure people really understand how you're impacting in a positive way. So. That's- and I think, oh, if I may ahead. add, Dr. Carson, Absolutely. I think it's important that the people understand that the story does not have to be huge numbers. Right. You know, that in the world of nonprofit, it can be something as simple as we, Friendly Center started the weekend program for middle school kids. Mm-hmm. These children have are just, you know, they're, the, they're the generation or the audience that no one wants to deal with because they're they're adolescents you know you know it's attached to be the adolescent right absolutely and, so, <laughs> and then you you factor in envir- environment you factor in the social ills of poverty and you know everything else that, that these children are exposed to and, and their coping mechanisms are very limited so we introduced yoga as um to one to our boys in this particular weekend program. And one Uh-oh. Little, yoga. One, yoga, absolutely. <laughs> and one of the little guys said, I like it because I don't feel as angry as I have before. Oh, my. Now, oh. how simple is that? You know, it's like he's not angry. No, because his anger gets him in trouble in school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His anger um, helps him make bad choices that impacts his ability to learn or to engage in the community and be safe. Wow. So something as simple as that, I don't get angry like I used to. What I mean, really? That's yeah. huge. Yeah. And that's, and that's the type of stories that people really need to understand that, yeah, something as simple as yoga, because when, when you say yoga, you don't think of, you know, middle school boys that live in poverty sitting down doing yoga, right? No. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing is, too, it, it sounds like the Friendly Center is addressing with a holistic approach, because if you're doing an intervention – Uh, With something like that, you know, yoga, you know, it's really allowing this young man to be exposed to things that he otherwise would not have a chance to be exposed to. And the dual benefit of maybe dealing with some anger management and and or aggression. I mean, that is good stuff. That's good stuff. Thank you. So let me ask you this then. Now, if you are helping uh, say, for example, that young man, you know, address things like that and being exposed to different things like that. Is that something that is really on tap for adults as well? Not just a yoga thing, but having a more of a holistic approach to the service offerings that you have. You know, it's interesting you should ask me that question because in the past, uh, I've been at Friendly Center four and a half years, and we certainly, in the beginning of my leadership there, we talked about you know, holistic opportunities. 
But what we found out is that our, our adults right now in our community are less inclined to pay attention to that type of programming or service opportunity because they are really just faced with the challenges of making it through the next 30 days before the next check comes or before wow. the next, you know. So they they feel that that is a luxury they cannot afford. Oh, my. But wow. to introduce the same concept to our boys and our kids on the weekend, we're planting those seeds now. So they begin to understand it's a luxury they have to have in order to survive. They have to develop those coping mechanisms to deal with their anger or external factors that influence them. So uh, I guess the yoga for adults was more on the other end, you know, but with children it's more the preventive end. And yeah. so those are the lessons learned for us Absolutely. in direct response to what our community is communicating back to us in terms of their needs. Yeah. And that's good stuff. I I think that, you know, we really have to somehow make the leap uh, emotionally and psychologically to understand that if we make a minor investment now, we have long term returns on that. And and that's you know, I know it must be a twin tension with you because you're doing these things. You know the value add, but you may not always get buy in. And that can be that can be challenging. That can be challenging. And just kind of off the beaten path here for a second, how do you deal with not getting buy-in always from your community and maybe some of your constituents there? I deal with it. I just understand that you have to meet people where they are. All right. Just, Excellent. At the, the bottom line, you have to meet them where they are. And, the, and uh, in my leadership training I just experienced uh, last week, we talked about sitting down and having one-on-one conversations with individuals so that we can both arrive, arrive at our self-interest. Oh, wow. That's not a bad thing. You know, let's have, the, let's have the dialogue. What do you want? What do I want? Can we meet somewhere in the middle, identify those interests and how they will impact our community together? Oh, my goodness. And if that's not present, that's okay. All right. Good it's stuff. Okay, and let's move on and find those individuals that do have those same self-interests so that we can move collectively and have impact. Miss Amelia, that's good stuff. Hey, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some deep things related to uh, nonprofits and just the reality and the harsh reality of goals. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay with us. We'll be coming back here shortly. Hey, hey, everybody. Hey, welcome back. You know what? I am excited because we have been sharing some good stuff today. Miss Amelia Gibbon, who is the executive director of the Friendly Center in Toledo, Ohio, has really been uh, sharing some nuggets with us about the whole idea of social justice and sustainability in our communities. And, you know, before we go any further, you guys know what time it is. It is time for Dr. Carthen's Corner. All right. And, you know, each week I feature an individual company or service that demonstrates civic engagement and shows a commitment to character, integrity and destiny focused leadership. And this week I am featuring the Friendly Center of North Toledo. The Friendly Center is a faith based 501c3 nonprofit organization serving the North Toledo, Ohio area. They operate in collaboration with United Methodist Women the West Ohio Conference, the Maumee Watershed District, and local United Methodist churches. 
The Friendly Center has a wide range of services and programs to support the many needs within their community. These services and programs are designed to empower their neighbors in North Toledo with resources to enhance their lives. If you would like to get involved or volunteer with their programs and their outreach efforts, take a look at their website at www.friendlycenter.org or give them a call at 419-243-1289. And I just want to say to Miss Amelia and the Friendly Center, please keep up the good work. Okay. Now, if you want your company or business featured on Discover the Leader in You, send a note to radio at jasoncarthen.com and tell us why you think you or your company should be featured on Discover the Leader in You. Miss Amelia, before we went to break, you were sharing some good things with us about just the reality of just the impact of what you're having in the community. And I wanted to come back and talk to you a little bit about the idea of event planning and how that plays a role in achieving your nonprofit goals. Now, when you think about event planning, how much does that play into your success at the Friendly Center? Event planning is huge. I think that, you know, but it operates on many different levels. You know, for instance, we have what we term community events. These events occur at least six times a year. The intent is to connect neighbors specifically to the Friendly Center. To na- for neighbors to connect to each other and to the broader community. Okay. But okay. we also have events that are geared to making sure that, you know, we raise funds. And those are strategic and, need- and much needed in order to help our bottom line and to move forward toward that goal always of sustainability for the organization. Absolutely. And I, and I think many people, they may not know the value that nonprofits place upon uh, raising revenue through those events. So would you say it is is, is really important <laughs> when it comes to uh, operating funds for the organization? I think that, it is, yes, it's very important, but you have to be very careful that you make sure that your events actually create revenue and not just expenses. And you right. can say that a lot of people showed up and it was great, they found out about us, but the amount of money we spent in order to put that, uh, that event on did not, you know, translate into a profit mm. for the organization to move forward. So it's start, event planning is not for the faint of heart. No. <laughs> certainly need individuals, whether, again, pay staff or volunteers or contract workers who have experience. Wow. And see, that's the – now I have to – I have two questions, I guess, related to that, and you open a door for it. When you talk about just the idea of having a, a wonderful event, but one that is not – going to leave you with just a high expense number at that point. Can you talk to us a little bit about the idea of having restricted funds versus uh, operating dollars? I mean, because when you have these events, you know, you're you're hoping that you're going to have money for operating dollars, correct? Correct. Okay. So so. so in the world of nonprofit, we have um, very specific funding streams and funders who are interested in impacting a specific program area focus. And so when they give you these funds, they're restricted to do just that work. And that work is really about direct service, more than likely. I would probably say 90% of the time, the funders want the dollars to go toward direct service, Mm. um, as opposed to unrestricted dollars, which which gives us the ability to take care of the day-to-day needs of running the organization. That means paying the utilities or making sure that, you know, we have rock salt when we have 
12 inches of snow on the ground yes. <laughs> to us. You know, so those those opportunities are always present. It's the, it's the daily work of keeping the organization running smoothly in order to provide those services. And it's very difficult and challenging for nonprofits to secure those unrestricted dollars. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, people need to hear that. And you know what? Again, I teed it up and you just hit a 300 yard drive because that was that was great. Many people don't understand the whole idea of uh, really restricted funds versus operating dollars. But we need those operating dollars so we can be effective and still carry out the mission of the organization. So. And I think also, Dr. Carthen, it's important to know that those those same unrestricted dollars can be used for something as important as professional development yes. for your team. Yes. You know, because you really you need to make sure that your team has the best information, that their skills are constantly being challenged and sharpened. Mm-hmm. And so they need you need dollars in order to provide those opportunities for your team. Yes. Because we operate with very small staff and most nonprofits. And so your team is urgent. That human capital, you can't, you cannot, you know, stress how important it is to have the right people in the right seat on mm. the right bus. Absolutely. And you know what? In that same vein, I mean, this is this is great. You're just, you know, you're setting things up here relative to my questions because the whole idea of having uh, effective human capital, not just not just anybody, you know, on the bus, you know, that's trying to move forward, you know, the whole idea of good to great and having mm-hmm. people on the, the right people on the bus. Tell me a little bit about uh, your volunteers, because obviously if you're serving over 10,000 people and you're doing all these things, and I've read about some of the things that you're doing, it's great. How much of a role do your volunteers play in that? Or do you do you not have volunteers? Oh, we certainly, <laughs> I mean, yes. We have volunteers, and, and again, because Friendly Center is not just a community center, even though it has a community center model, we're actually a mission of the United Methodist Women. So that means that volunteerism, our mission work, is, is what we do. It's our fabric. It's part of our fabric. So without our uh, Methodist partners, without our churches in our district and on the national uh, and regional level, there's absolutely no way we could make this happen on a daily basis. Yeah, because, you know, what you're doing, you know, we've joked about it and, and we've said several times that it's not for the faint of heart. But, no. you know, the reality is that, you know, the right people need to be in your organization. And you also have to have the right people that are volunteering, because when you start pressing into some of the societal issues and, and basically some of the social ills that are taking place, you need people that are going to understand. They need to be emotionally intelligent because when they see someone who may uh, have just uh, been homeless, you know, you need to be able to speak to that. and You need to be able to be, uh, you know, really open to that sort of person. So, you know, it's really important to have the right people, the right volunteers that are going to really help the Friendly Center move forward with its mission. So, well, I think, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. You're good. I was just going to, you know, also add to that, you know, in the world of nonprofit, we rely heavily on volunteerism, but I think that our responsibility as an organization is to ensure that there is a volunteer um, management process in place. Excellent. You know, because you want the volunteers to have a positive experience. You want them to walk away feeling like they've used their skills and the gifts to the best of their ability. They've made a difference. So what you cannot do is invite individuals into chaos. So as an organization, we are responsible for providing an experience that, you know, that streamlines, that's effective and respectful of our own. 
and gives her time. That is good stuff. Well, hey, everybody, we are out of time. I, I know it came quick, but we have been talking to Miss Amelia Gibbon, the executive director of the Friendly Center. And Miss Amelia, I just want to say thank you, and I applaud you in your efforts. Keep it up, okay? Thank you so much, Dr. Kirk. All right, absolutely. Hey, just want to remind everybody, we actually do have the I Speak Life Academy coming up on March 28th. It's going to be from 10 to 12. If you want to register, make sure you go to jasoncarthen.com. Stay tuned, everybody, for next week. Take care now. Listening to Discover the Leader in You with the leadership linebacker, Dr. Jason Carthen. We want to hear from you. Connect with us now. Visit our blog and visit our website at jasoncarthen.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Enterprises. Follow us on Twitter at Jason Carthen. Let's keep the conversation going. And if you want to listen to the podcast, go to jasoncarthenradio.com. Be sure to join us every Sunday at 2 p.m. on AM 1420, The Answer, to discover the leader in you.